Howdy! My name is Karok Ray and this is our talk show, Innovation Matters, uh, sponsored by the Mays Innovation Research Center. Just to remind you, the Mays Innovation Research Center is an academic research center at the Mays Business School at Texas A&M. And we sponsor a lot of research and we study innovation and uh, to understand how it works and how to make it uh, more common and, uh, and to make our lives better. Uh, I am here today with Evan Loomis. Uh, Evan, thank you for coming back to College Station. Happy to be here. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about Evan's life, his uh, time at the Mays Business School, and his career afterwards. Uh, Evan is currently the co-founder of Icon, uh, which is a, uh, a construction technology company in, in Austin, Texas, which just raised a ton of money um, <laughs> and is growing like, uh, like crazy uh, and is really trying to achieve many, many things in many, many interesting areas. Um, one thing I want to tell the viewers is that uh, I'd recommend you also watch uh, the earlier, actually the first episode we recorded with Jason Ballard, uh, your, your co-founder, yep. who was sitting in your chair about uh, six to eight months ago. Uh, because this, this conversation will complement uh, what we covered with, with Jason. And so we're not going to try to repeat everything, but we'll just give everyone, get everyone up to speed. And hopefully you can watch both of the interviews and learn about uh, really this breakthrough technology in construction. He's, he's also really entertaining, and he, <clears throat> I don't know if he wore a cowboy hat, but if, if, <laughs> he, did. if, if he did, then he did. it feels like the ultimate Aggie. Yeah, um, exactly. I, right. I kind of look like a banker from Dallas <laughs> today. So. so Evan, first let's back up. Tell us a little bit your, uh, your life story, uh, where you grew up, how you got to A&M, uh, what you majored in, and so on. Yeah, um, so I grew up in Austin, Texas, and uh, both my parents went to UT, you around here uh-huh. uh, and all of my bad decisions were in high school and so I just, <laughs> I just had to get out of Austin Texas and uh, Texas A&M was the, the the school that I really wanted to go to that was outside of uh, outside of the Austin city limits uh, which uh, I, I live back there now so I've, I've, I've paid penance since then but um, yeah so went to went to A&M actually didn't really grow up with many friends that were Aggies and uh, really fell in love with the school and so it's it was it was super incredible but pretty pretty normal like growing up high school um experience had started a couple of businesses when i was young um one of the, one of the things that my dad encouraged me to do when i was uh-huh. eight years old was to start my first business it was a lawn mowing company and so i've, I've kind of been an entrepreneur ever since i was eight basically yeah. and then started a bunch of other little companies in high school when i landed at a and i uh I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but I, I would have been the worst doctor in the entire world. Um, I don't know why. You, when you get to college, you're like, I'm going to be a doctor. Right. Uh, but f- through a, a fortunate set of events, um, ended up in May's business school with a degree in finance and just had an absolute blast. Um, yeah. I, 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 I think and will continue to think a is is uh, just such an incredible university, right. not, not, not just for the academics, but like the types of people that it creates. Yeah. I think is like very very special. Yeah. So. And did you meet Jason back in uh, back at A Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I did. A, I was in a kind of alternative fraternity uh, called Aggie Men's Club. Yeah. Uh, here at A and M, and did a bunch of student leadership organizations. Did Fish Aids, uh, Cosga. Was involved in the Memorial Student Center. Like any anything that had like a member an application process, I probably applied for it when I was here. And uh, when, it, when, I was, when I got into Aggie Men's Club, um, there was a gentleman that, uh, that uh, applied to be in the fraternity uh-huh. named Jason Ballard. He uh, 
it was a <clears throat> was on the track team at AM. And from the first time I met him, I was like, we're gonna be buddies. Uh-huh. And we're we're two totally different animals. Uh-huh. Um, he's like very cerebral, super smart, incredible athlete, prince of a man, and I'm yeah. like the opposite of those things. <laughs> um, uh, which is like dumb, lazy, and I'm just kidding. Uh, but we, we, we just kind of became really fast friends. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think out of that friendship grew a, a, a like a, a seriousness about our both our superpowers and what types of work we wanted to do yeah. in the world. And so we started our first company together called Treehouse uh-huh. uh, right a few years after we graduated from A&M. Okay, okay. Now, now before I get there, um, you... Uh, when you were in finance at at uh, at, at Mays, did you think that you were going to end up in technology? Was that something you thought you were aware of? Were you curious about it? How? What was your yeah, thinking back then? I I don't. It wasn't very good thinking. I would say <laughs> uh-huh. I, I I wanted to be an investment banker, um, not because I was particularly gifted at finance, uh-huh, uh-huh. but because I heard it was a hard job to get. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that sounds competitive. That sounds good. And so let right. me go. Let me go get a job as an investment banker, um, and I was just the worst at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a total joke uh-huh, um, for uh-huh. me, and so I worked at J.P. Morgan Chase in New York, I guess. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. went out, went to Citigroup for full time. Yeah, offered and chased and mergers and acquisitions. And when I say it was a joke, it's just it wasn't that 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 profession is serious serious and they do good work, um, but it wasn't a match with my skills. Right. Uh, it's not what I wanted to do. Right. I, I was like the. The, the, the signals that I got as an eight-year-old uh-huh, to uh-huh. go start businesses and be an entrepreneur, uh-huh. I should have like listened to that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I, I try to convince myself that I wanted to do high finance. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All of that being said, it is such a great way to like get your start in business because right. um, you, you just get kicked in the face really fast yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in investment yeah. banking. You yeah. work 120 hours a week. You actually learn kind of what the drivers are within a company. Right. You learn how to do financial modeling. And I think for my case, one of the one of the best gifts that came out of it was learning how to sell. Mm-hmm. So you're you build these pitch decks. Right. And you try to convince company A to buy company B and you tell these stories uh, in kind of presentation form and PowerPoints and keynotes. Yeah. And that that's a universal skill set. And so I, I kind of took that away and really loved ended up loving my time as a banker, but couldn't wait to get out. Okay. Okay, now what happened after banking? Did you go straight to Treehouse? Yeah, I was. Um, <clears throat> I didn't go straight to Treehouse. Okay. Uh, so I fell in love with my wife at A and M. She was in a. She she did a bunch of things uh, here at A and M. Was in Maggie's and some other organizations like that. Uh, but I was a couple years ahead of her, and so I did. Spent two years in New York City uh-huh. doing banking, uh-huh. um, and then we got married. And we moved to Washington D.C. together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So she got into med school at George Washington University, uh-huh. which was great. <clears throat> and when I when I landed there, I knew that I I knew that I didn't want to do like big finance, right? But I really loved business, uh-huh. and so I started an angel investment group uh-huh. at that time. That's called it was called Wedgewood Circle, and we are uh, angel investing. If you you know for folks that aren't familiar with that word, um, it just means like high net worth investors, so wealthy individuals making you know, smaller size investments into early stage companies, okay. anywhere from twenty-five thousand to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. In and the DC market or all over? Yeah, kind of all over the United States. Oh, great. So we're really focused on media and entertainment. Uh-huh. And so we had a we had a group of about seventy-five high net worth individuals. Yeah. And we would 
find deals, right. bring them deals. They would invest in those companies, and right. hopefully, you know, over the course of time, they would make a good return. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I, I went from banking to early stage investing at an angel group, and then um, it was just a matter of time before I kind of got bit by the entrepreneur bug again. Right. And so right. the the thing that Jason had kind of brought to me is like, hey man, I'm a green builder. Yeah. <clears throat> green builder, whatever that yeah. was at the time. Here in Boulder, and I think this market's gonna be huge yeah. to like provide more eco-friendly, sustainable solar panels, healthy building materials for people's homes. Right. And so almost imagine like a Whole Foods version of Home Depot. Right. Or if Patagonia employees invaded Home Depot, right. what kind of business would you get? Right. And so we started that company uh, Shortly after um, my time at Wedgwood Circle, and had a really good run. It failed. Yeah. Um, okay. That's kind of the, okay. the, the the short and abbreviated story there. But learned a ton. Yeah. We had a good eight year run. Uh-huh. Um, raised some VC money to get it started. And right. Um, the the one thing that we didn't anticipate when we started Treehouse was uh, Amazon. Right. Right. My right. God, we were yeah. just like, certainly Amazon's not going to be selling paint. <laughs> certainly Amazon's not going to be selling solar panels and kitchens and all right. this kind of stuff. They're, they're too big and they're too personal. You yeah, know? And, yeah. Uh, certainly we were wrong. And, uh, <laughs> and so Amazon kind of ate our lunch. There, there are a few other things that happened in the business that just made it less attractive over time. You moved, Did you move to Colorado with Jason for this? Or where, no. where, where was Trudeau's? <clears throat> yeah, so I lived in D.C. He yeah. lived in Colorado. Okay. And we both converged in Austin, Texas okay, okay, to start the it. business. So right. my wife had finished medical school by then. Right. Uh, she was doing her medical residency at Dell. Um, we're both Texans. We, we kind of yeah. wanted an excuse to get back, and so we, sure. we moved back for that reason. Okay, perfect. Yep. Great. Now, so eight years at Treehouse, um, and now tell me, uh, let's dive into the genesis of Icon. Uh, how, did, uh, how did that idea emerge? Yeah, a, a bunch of different data points um, on that, and they're, they're, most good ideas start off kind of like a pebble in your shoe. Yeah. You're, like, you're not sure what it is, but yeah. something feels off in the world. Yeah. You know, and you're like, you see, so you're kind of like, huh, I wonder what, I wonder what that is. And right. so the, the things that kind of began to feel off in, in my world and in my co-founder's world, Jason, was um, people were moving to Austin. They couldn't afford a home. Yeah, right. That felt off. Yeah. Another, like, scary statistic that we stumbled across when we were starting to kind of, like, get back after Treehouse was um, a statistic in the Atlantic Monthly that said 48% of Americans, if they're in a pinch, could not come up with four hundred dollars cash. Yeah, yeah. And so what that what that said to me was like we're fragile, right? Like we're we're, we're very financially fragile as a as an as a population. Sure. In the, the most powerful com- country in the world. Yeah. Uh, if that's true, that's scary. And yeah. so financial fragility equals like housing fragility, and you look at housing prices rising and all this kind of stuff. And when you zoom out and look at the world, um, and you just Google how many people don't have a home, right? The the number is it's the kind of number that makes you cry. Yeah. Um, you just don't even want to think about it. Yeah. And that number happens to be about 1.2 billion of our brothers and sisters don't have adequate shelter. They're like, what, what's going on here? Yeah. And so th- those were like the, <clears throat> those were the clues on our journey that something was like really messed up uh-huh. within housing. And, and then we started kind of like looking for a solution. I see, so the, so yeah. the problem came first. Rather than you didn't yeah. build a robot first, J- just yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, pr- problems always have to come first. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're going to create a solution that looks for a problem. Right. And, right. and so, you, the, I, I think the world's best ideas come from like actual crises. Yeah. Yeah. Actual problems, not 
made up problems, yeah, not yeah. fake problems. Right. Uh, you know, there's laundry delivery with a cookie yeah, right. is not a problem. Right, right, um, right. It's, that's, a, that's an opportunity that a lot of entrepreneurs have capitalized on. Yeah. And I'm not dogging laundry delivery with a cookie, but um, that, that's just like an opportunity and a scrappy entrepreneur may figure out a way to capitalize on you know, picking up your laundry, re-delivering right. it, cleaning right. it, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's actually not a problem. And so all the great ideas start with like massive problems, yeah. <clears throat> massive market inefficiencies and human suffering. Yeah. So if, if you start there, and that, that's kind of what we were paying attention to is like, yeah. wow, look at all of these people that are suffering, whether it's Texans right. that just can't afford a home, right? Uh, whether it's people along the Gulf Coast that are being displaced by hurricanes, yeah. uh, that's a problem. Whether it's the 1.2 billion number that I shared, that, that's, a, that's a big problem. So... We, uh, we looked into like, what are the innovations that have led to incredible human flourishing yeah. since really a long time ago? Yeah. It's not, it's not, it doesn't take rocket science, but you look at the, the movement from horses and buggies to transportation. Sure. Uh, in the cases of the, the Wright brothers, they went from bicycles to flying. Right, um, right. Which is kind of a big jump. Yeah, uh, yeah. They were crazy smart and talented, obviously, uh, from paper to software. Right. And, uh, and from being subjected to the earth to being a space-faring civilization yeah. like all those that's all happened in the last hundred years yeah, and it's, yeah. it's magical and when you diagnose that you get uh advances in software advances in robotics yeah and advances in advanced material yeah so yeah. like and, and so we said what if we applied software robotics and advanced material to the problem of housing uh -huh. so we started there uh -huh. and we landed on um Basically, automation, 3D printing, and all of that. And right. That, that, that was kind of the, the moment where we started Icon is when we kind of lined up those stars and said, hey, let's just apply what we know to be true to have changed every other industry to yeah. housing to alleviate human suffering and then see where that takes us. And it's been a really freaking wild, wild ride right. for the last four years. Right, so. right, right. Awesome. Uh, and tell me your role on the team, uh, if you can. Oh, and, and, uh, in, in the context of sort of both your education and then your your what you your what you were doing in investment banking and, and angel investing. Tell, tell yeah. us about that. So <clears throat> the the role on any founding team changes a lot as you scale up and grow. Yeah. So in the early days, there there are just three co-founders, and you're yeah. like, what do you do? I'm a co-founder. Uh, great. And the, the 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 investors and other constituents don't really ask you to define your role necessarily, but as you scale up and grow, you need to start defining your role a little bit more carefully. And so one of the um, one of our co-founders at Icon named Alex took technology. Uh -huh. He's a he's a technologist and he's amazing, really talented. Yeah. Jason took leadership and managing our team uh -huh. as the CEO. Uh-huh. And um, as the chairman and co-founder of the company, I took basically all of our external relationships. Okay. So customers, investors, Strategic partners, uh -huh. all of that. Okay. So defense and space, and and so that that's kind of how we divide our responsibilities. Because what you don't want to what you don't want to happen on any team is like two people trying to play the drums at the same right, time, right, uh, right, or two people trying to be the lead singer. <laughs> right, it, just, right. it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so for for fortunately for us, we each kind of had a role right. and a very clear set of responsibilities that we jumped into, and so. Um, that's what I'm doing. It's, okay. it's a lot of fun. Okay, that's great. So mix, don't match. I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's right. And it, it's just, and also too, it's being honest about, I mentioned the word superpowers already a couple of times, but being honest about what your actual superpowers are. Right. Everybody's got them. Most of the time people 
don't know what they are. Right, 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 right. Or they they tell themselves a story that they've got a they've got a superpower that they don't really have. And so, <clears throat> I think it's especially incumbent on undergraduates, yeah. people even in graduate school, yeah, yeah. to like, hey, be honest about like, who who are you made to be? Right. What do you actually care about? Right. What, what do you give a damn right. about? Right. And <clears throat> how can you use your gifts to solve an important problem in the world? Yeah. Um, and so we, we were really, really lucky uh, to have very little friction in our, in our kind of relationships. And then, <clears throat> then you discover that your superpower that got you here is not gonna get you there, yeah. and you gotta build a team. Yeah, and yeah. so we've been really fortunate um, to build, we've got a team of over 300 people now. Great. And they're just incredible, and I feel so honored to be a part of it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So here at Texas A&M, we're in the business of higher education, which really is the business of people and, and, and the young generation. Uh, tell me how you, um, I want to kind of drill down on, on your, uh, your desire to focus on such a big, massive problem. And how did you have the confidence that you, Jason and Alex, were able to, would be able to at least make a dent in it? Wh where did that come from? Was that part of your education at Mays? Was it uh, afterwards? Was it Aggie Men's Club? Was it maybe your youth? Yeah. <clears throat> I, um, I've never thought about confidence in that in that regard uh -huh. <clears throat> certainly you need some grit and perseverance to like suffer through the early stages because yeah what if we were to rewind the clock five years ago yeah and i would have told you i'm starting a 3d printing company that's going to 3d print entire houses out of concrete <laughs> you'd have been like dude <laughs> what's wrong with you <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have been a speaker here yeah <laughs> you, you, you know like that guy's a little crazy yeah uh <clears throat> we should go produce more Aggies that are doing interesting things in the world. But um, yeah. <clears throat> and so I, I think the confidence comes from um, pro probably a, a few things. One, like when, when you when you achieve a little bit of success, whether it's like when I was eight years old and yeah. I, I knew that I could like start a business yeah. and make my next door neighbor, Miss Shoemaker, happy right. by mowing in straight lines, right. which is very hard for an eight year old. Right. Like confidence begets more opportunities and those more those more opportunities beget opportunities to increase your confidence levels yeah uh, and really just your conviction you're like a radical self-belief that like I can do this yeah. like I got it I got what it takes to do great things in the world yeah. and so that, that that tends to start at a pretty early age and um, wherever it starts it, it kind of grows over time I, I don't I think you're if you if you just have it right out of the gates without earning it and like doing hard things you, you probably have some sociopathic or narcissistic tendencies, you know, that, that right. need to be addressed otherwise. Right. But um, right. so that I think I think that's where it started. I just had really great parents and really good friends that encouraged entrepreneurial uh -huh. en endeavors. And uh -huh. when you when you succeed, you kind of take the next step and you, you dream bigger. And so um, also, I think failure is really good. Yeah. Because when you when you in, in the case of Treehouse, we failed bad. Yeah. It's like that hurts. Yeah. It, it's it really sucks to lose investors' money. Yeah. It it hurts to like. Um, have failed yeah. within, within uh, oh, you're the guy that started that company. Uh, man, I'm sorry, they, they, they failed. Uh -huh. uh, you're like, yeah, that was, you know, right. I, I, you, you feel that. But, th but then after you fail and you experience what, that, what that's actually like, it's not really failure. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's freedom in a sense of like, okay, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. If you tell the truth and you work your ass off, uh -huh. there's a lot of freedom in America to like try hard and fail. Right. And it, it actually more people admire you for trying and failing than, than you might uh, yeah. think. And so a lot of times people just play it safe because they don't want to screw it up. But 
the, the, what, what makes our country so incredible is like our tolerance as a society for failure, right. I, I would say. Like right. we, we still have this mentality of go west. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's like, just try. Like, do something big. And it, it is no surprise to me that, like, even, <clears throat> like, the Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos are, like, are, are, are doing big things in this country um, be, because of that. So, yeah, it, it's a mix of, like, confidence that has grown over time and failure. And you, you discover that failure is just not, it, it doesn't have power over you anymore. And right. You're, you're free to kind of do what you do what you want. And so um, that, that's not to say doing big things, like, starting a venture back company that's raised hundreds of millions of dollars isn't scary and we don't have our, our, our moments. It, it is, it is to say that like, um, w when you, when you've been there and done that and you realize that like you can get back on the horse, it's, it's going to be okay. So now, now icon, uh, is, uh, as you said, 300 employees, uh, your value at least north of $2 billion now, uh, it's just, I think it's rumored <laughs> to be around two billion, uh, but I, I can't confirm nor deny uh, <laughs> right. what, what, the, what the value is. Right. Um, t t uh, you know, the construction industry historically has been notoriously manual, right? I, I mean, it's just uh, even today surprises me that so much of, uh, of the, the sticks and bricks houses are still largely just done completely by hand. Um, tell us, I guess, your 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 vision for housing in the future as it as it relates to Icon. Well. It's just that, like we we have not uh, innovated on housing for a thousand years, yeah. And that is not uh, hyperbole. If we were to go back in time to the Middle Ages and look at a house, what we would discover is sticks and bricks and rudimentary nails, <clears throat> and maybe some mortar uh, and mud. And uh, and and it, we're 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 kind of doing it the same way today. And so housing has got to move into the modern world. It, it just has to. It's, it's not doing what we hoped it would do. Uh, we've had a couple of innovations along the way. We learned how to uh, make, make lumber in the 1800s really quickly and the Industrial Revolution. In the, in the 1950s, we figured out how to shoot nails fast right. with, with nail guns right. during the Power Revolution. Right. So the Industrial Revolution gave us lumber. The Power Revolution gave us uh, you know, fast nails. And uh, the electronics revolution gave us a Nest thermostat. <laughs> right. But that, that's actually not uh, a housing innovation. That's just like yeah. a cool iPhone on your wall. Yeah. And, um, and so, so that, 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 that's a problem. Right. Um, and it, it's a problem that causes human suffering. And so that when we, when we really wanted to like move it forward, uh, we landed on robotics and 3D printing. And if you're on uh, the podcast, I'll have to explain this. But if you're on video right now, this is our Vulcan printer. This is the advanced piece of robotic equipment that we created that can 3D print an entire house um, just in a matter of days wow. up to about 3,000 square feet. And so that this covers 95% of single-story homes in America. Right. It's amazing. Right. And the entire robot, um, it, it's got tracks on each side that it kind of rolls you know, forward and back on. It has two towers and then a cross beam that allow it to go up and down, left and right, forward yeah. and back. And that, that gives you the ability to print within three-dimensional space. We're really proud of this. There's another piece of equipment that, that is kind of paired with this called the Magma system. Mm -hmm. And the Magma system uh, mixes and pumps concrete uh, real time yeah. throughout the day. Yeah. Concrete's kind of finicky, and we're, we're getting concrete to come out of a hose like a toothpaste. Right, right. Um, it's, really, it's really fun. So. The, the kind of joke on our team is anytime people are actually watching this happen, they yeah. want they want to get like a popcorn and beer because uh, <laughs> it's, it's actually really entertaining. I bet. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch. 
So I bet. Now, is your uh, on the business side? Um, are you planning on becoming a nation, national home builder, or just supplying the walls to existing home builders? What, what? Yeah, it's <clears throat> right now our um, our business model is robotics as a service, mm. and so what what tends to happen is a big real estate developer or a, a large builder comes to us, like Lennar, and they say, "Hey, we're building a community of a hundred homes." and we really want to use Icon's technology, can we partner with you? And so what we do is we say, great, uh, we can, let, let's work on the design of the houses, let's find a beautiful design that we think is really cool, and, um, and then we'll print those walls. And yeah. so we do design print contracts, right. which is robotics as a service. Right. Where, where we're likely gonna head to in the future is uh, a future where we get this technology into other people's hands. Yeah. So right now we're controlling the technology because it's so new and it's moving and metamorphosizing so fast. But the thing that we can't wait to do is call up Europe, yeah. call up Central and South America, call right. up India and other countries and right. saying, hey, we've got an advanced piece of equipment that can really solve your housing needs, yeah. let's go. And so I don't know when that date's gonna be, yeah. but, our, but our end game is likely gonna be more of a construction technologies company, where, uh -huh. where our, our primary product are these pieces of software and robotics, r robotic tools uh -huh. that allow people to do this on their own. Oh, wow, okay. So, I mean, construction, you know, it's very local. And so you would work with builders across, maybe across the world, and provide, sell them this, the, either the machine sure. or <clears throat> Yeah, just service. like any car company. I mean, yeah. Ford sells cars, Tesla sells cars all yeah. over the world. Um, you don't need to have a car that's done by Tesla that needs to fly right. when, when you're in another country. Right. Like the, the gravity still holds. And so we, we, we would create uh, the technology and export it or license okay. it or something like okay. that. This is beautiful. This tells us, uh, what, what are we looking yeah, at? Yeah, so one of the cool things that we just unveiled uh, this past week at South by Southwest was um, an exploration series of homes, uh, a home particularly called House Zero. And what we did, we hired a really great architectural firm called Lake Flato. Right. Uh, they do some just beautiful, iconic work in Texas. And we said, hey, let's dial it up to 11. <laughs> let, let, let's see what would happen if you designed a home that could only be built by a robot. Right. And, and right. so uh, every, every single surface uh, in the house wow. is curved. Wow. Uh, if you're looking at the front of the house, it looks like cypress trees. Uh -huh. uh, these, we, we call them tree walls. They're, they have incredible structural integrity. They're beautiful. Um, and th th this past week, we got about a billion kind of impressions on this house, so we're, we're super proud of it. And the, the people that were walking into the house and out of the house were like, how fast can I get one? So yeah. part of our job um, as futurists and as entrepreneurs and technologists is to show the world what can be yeah. and what, what, what could be, um, if and only if there's this like crazy cool technology. Right. And so part of, this, part of the, the point of this home was like setting up new architectural paradigms for people to kind of imagine. Not every wall has to have a straight line. Right. Not every corner has to be a right angle. Right. You can have curves and slopes and right. all that kind of stuff. And right. you can have a home that feels actually more human uh -huh. uh, as opposed to like sterile and less human. Right, right. Wow, yeah, this is, this is gorgeous. Um, so it, it's, it sounds like you're trying to uh, attack both ends of the market, both the high end. Uh, this, sound, this looks like a pretty nice high end home. Uh, but also, in order to hit the uh, the low income housing, uh, tell tell us about that strategy and how you're uh, how you're doing both 
both both of them. Well, our, our strategy is that everybody wins. Yeah. Uh, and I'll explain what I mean by that. W what we don't want to do is build a business on the backs of um, like countries that are that are struggling to get on their feet. And yeah. so you, you build if you build a business that is catered towards the the very poor, it's hard to make it work long. It's not, it's hard to have a very sustainable business there. Um, but that's the heartbeat of our company. We we want to build a company that addresses the actual crisis in the world. Um, yeah. And so as, as we've looked at it, we, we're definitely gonna be doing projects uh, in the developing world. We're definitely gonna be doing social housing here in the United States. Um, <clears throat> and we're definitely gonna attack the middle market and then we're gonna go up market. And when I say everybody wins, um, when you think about a paradigm shift, like the entire paradigm of construction is gonna get faster. It's gonna get cheaper. It's going to get better. It's going to get more resilient. It's going to have less waste. It's going to be more sustainable. Yeah. It's going to blow people's minds uh, in, in like a really positive way. Um, it like one person doesn't have to win and the other one has to lose, right. so to speak. And so, we, we want to make <clears throat> the higher end, the middle market, the social, the government housing, housing for uh, in Indian reservations here in America, housing for military bases, housing for off-planet construction systems. Yeah. I mean, all of it yeah. is to get faster and cheaper and better. And for for you know undergrads and folks at AM right now, they're, they're gonna get hit with this when they graduate, which is like, wow, housing is real expensive. And if you try to build a house, it can take like nine to 12 months and it's very expensive. It's like, why is that? Yeah. This this, this is like, should not take that long and yeah. it should not be this expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's kind of how we think about it. Okay, now, now um uh, let me push you in, in, uh, on this question. So U.S. housing itself is a big problem. Global housing, an even bigger problem. If you're going after that problem, why bother with anything off, off, off the planet? Why, why worry about, why spend any time on, on say, uh, lunar construction or construction on Mars? Yeah, I, I always get nervous when a, when a PhD tells <laughs> me they're going to push me on something. I'm like, oh, no. Did I get a fact wrong? Um, <laughs> right, great. Yeah, I, right. I, I can answer this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we, you, we, we get that a lot. And um, I, I think that's, that kind of sentiment has um, been hard for a lot of organizations that are, that are doing work that's like really boundary pushing. Yeah. And it's like, well, but what about the poor? Yeah. What, what, what about the people that yeah. are here now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in the case of our work at ICON, so ICON does have contracts with NASA to build the moon base. And we're also working with Johnson Space Center to get ready for Mars. Wow. Super exciting work. Yeah. And America as a country is going to go back to the moon. Right. And this time we're not just going to ride around in dune buggies <laughs> and hop around, which, which actually looks, it looks really cool when I watch the videos yeah. of the astronauts. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then fly home, but we're going to stay. Yeah. And we're going to have to have infrastructure on the moon. And the cool thing about our work, it, there, is, there is like a, almost a one-for-one -one analog on the advances that we make in outer space building habitats on the moon are gonna have a direct impact on how well we can shelter ourselves on Earth. Yeah. Because that's the that's the technological deep end of the pool. Right. Building on the moon with intense radiation. Yeah. Moonquakes. Right. It's like it's an actual thing. Yeah. There are moonquakes. <clears throat> um like earthquakes, but they're different. Uh -huh. uh, if you can uh -huh. imagine that. And meteors. Yeah. Like, there's no atmosphere, so right. stuff hits you. Right, right. And so you, you think about like the type of advanced civilization that figures out how to build on the moon yeah, yeah. is certainly going to figure out a way to build right, on Earth better, right. faster, cheaper. Right. 
And so a lot of our insights, um, and this is probably true for Tesla. So yeah. SpaceX got its start. For sure. Off to the races, really innovating in aerodynamics and advanced metals. And a lot of those trans are being translated into Tesla cars. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think the same thing is going to be true for us uh, with our space work. It, it actually already is. Um, and so that, that's, that's not how, that's not like uh, just positioning. Yeah. That, that is that is fundamentally true. Right. And we can't wait to take those breakthroughs and, and, and apply them for people that like desperately need it here on Earth. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, let, me, um, let me now kind of speak to, the, especially the students in the, who are watching this. Um, I want you to kind of look back on your career uh, and especially your time at A&M. And, uh, you know, we want to, here at A&M, we want to obviously uh, make not just, uh, uh, we want to make students better. And, and kind of, and I guess looking back on the choices you've made and uh, how you made them, what <laughs> advice can you give to our current students now, uh, especially and address any hesitations or fears <clears throat> they may have or anxieties um, about following a path similar to yours? Being an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think everybody should be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And for the, for the students that, have the itch, you should just pay attention to that because you're wired in a certain way. <clears throat> and if you're wired to be a creator um, of whatever it is, start a coffee shop, start a, start a business 3D printing houses, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, you're probably just not gonna be happy unless you're kind of doing what you're wired to do yeah. <clears throat> in, in general. And it's, it's good for people to be honest about that. The first jobs that I took out of college were Jobs that I was told were important. They're not the jobs for me. Yeah. And so I ended up sitting in a cubicle, wasting away right. as a result. Right. Um, that, that's one. Two, I feel like a lot of times people are afraid of failure. And so if you don't know what your superpowers are, then just go explore. Yeah. It's like you, you actually learn a lot when you run into a brick wall. Yeah. Like, huh. I didn't enjoy that. And so maybe I need to get out of graphic design and go into finance, or maybe to get out of finance and go into graphic design, or whatever that may be, or marketing, or whatever have you. So paying attention to, like giving yourself permission to explore, yeah. and being willing to look like an idiot. Because yeah. who cares? Right. Like nobody's, uh, we, we don't need to impress each other. And so, and then I would say three, like having a, uh, having some really good friends, yeah. Around you, like yeah. like the legacy for me coming out of A and M uh -huh. was not great finance professors. I had some good ones. Yeah, uh, Sally Joyner. <laughs> <clears throat> Is she still here? I don't know. I don't okay, know. she was awesome. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Peter Drysdale. I just had some awesome people in my life uh, within the university. But but like the legacy of A and M for me is like deep friendships. Yeah, yeah. and the kind of friends that aren't afraid to tell you their observations and kind of the the truth about you. Right. Uh, is really good medicine as you head out there into the to the world, because right. um, we, we need people in our corner that want to encourage us, that want to lift us up, that want to uh, help us do like the most with our very precious and very short time on Earth. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I I felt like I had a lot of really good friends and uh, that were that were actually forged and developed here at A and M. Okay. And so that okay. that has probably been this. And I would say Jason Bauer would probably say that too. Yeah. He's like yeah. Jason, why are you? who you are today and he, he he would probably say some version of um you know after wife and then his like close friends right so. right 
One thing we've talked about before is uh, is, and I'm sure this is true uh, when you were when you were here at A and M. It's still largely true today. Is that A and M, like many state institutions, is very successful in offering almost a set path to get into corporate America and large companies. Um, but to get into to do something a little more risky is harder. It's just you have to sort of figure it out on your own. Still, we're you know my center, the McFerrin Center, other opportunities are, are trying to provide more yeah. of those those opportunities. And um, to just just I know it's not going to be for everybody, right? But there are going to be some some students, uh, hopefully some of you watching, who could go either way, who could be uh, you know just on the border between investment banking or going straight into technology. Uh, for those students, any other any other thoughts or uh, practical tips? <clears throat> well, your... and this is something A and M, so the McFerrin Center, yeah, uh, a professor like you, yeah, did not exist when I was a student right, here, right. and uh, and, and so a lot of a lot of times people, at least when I was here, I thought the only options were a bank, an investment bank, yeah, or one of the big four accounting firms, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I smirked earlier when you said state institution because I was like, it feels like a jail. <laughs> right, it feels yeah, like a jail. Right, right, who right, wants right. To, who wants to do that? And <laughs> I, I, I actually don't think that like if you're if students are honest with themselves, they like they give they care about yeah. what they're told to think is cool, right. like the accounting firms and the banks and all that kind of stuff. It, it's just the the the, or the the university has been set up to produce. Uh, people that are attractive to yeah. employers. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, we've got an, an amazing set of employers and we produce a lot of really attractive bankers and all that kind of stuff. Right. <clears throat> so I'm not knocking that, although I'm, I'm, I'm saying it, but uh, we have to do we have to do a service to our university yeah. and identify people that have the entrepreneurial spirit right. a little sooner and at least right. show that this is another way. Right. And right. when I was here, it was not a way. Right. You, you just, right. you kind of, Follow the cattle yep. out the chute, and you got a job at a bank. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, what the heck is happening to me right now? Yeah. I don't yeah. like this. And so, um, how would I encourage people? I mean, if you you will you'll never you you'll pro if you, if you're wired for entrepreneurship, you'll never regret like taking the blue pill, yeah. um, to use a matrix analogy, <laughs> and uh, and starting a business and kind of detaching yourself from from the system. I, I, in, in a sense, I think I think it can actually be really harmful, especially in a small college town. There's a lot of homogeneity right. of like thought and ideas right. to just kind of follow that. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think it's very interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think um, the next breakthrough health health innovation is going to be yeah. done by somebody that like followed all the rules. Right. Like break the rules. Yeah. Like yeah. don't do what everybody else is doing. Yeah. If you want to do consulting, like why? Why, why do you want to do that? Right. It's silly. Right. <laughs> you're like, stop saying that. Uh, but but, but it, when, you, when you back up, it's like silly. It's someone else's dream. You're, you're yeah. building someone else. Go, like, find your dream and go build that. Right. And, and go, go make the world a better place. Like, we, these chairs, your jacket, yeah. that hat, yeah. your watch, those shoes, um, this advanced, you know, TV camera system that's recording yeah. us right now, this yeah. microphone, an entrepreneur like thought of it right they and they started it <clears throat> they raised some money and they started it like right. everything around us like the world is entrepreneurial that's right when, when, you, when you think about it that way and so like when you kind of see the world through that lens like all of this has been created by like bright and imaginative minds that wanted to make the world better that wanted to do something that was like off the beaten path like we, we we're like we walk around 
just in debt to their service in a yeah. sense, but we don't realize it. Yeah, like right. that TV was invented by somebody, yeah, you know, exactly right. and it's uh, that way of that way of living because our lives are so short, I think is just more fun and colorful. Right. And so um, if cubicles and Microsoft Excel get you excited, uh, <laughs> then there's a way yeah. for you. And if, if, if that sounds terrible, then you should go be an entrepreneur or do something else. Yeah. So. Last thing I want to ask you, Evan, is uh, you and Jason, both Aggies, uh, uh, tell us um, what, what the Aggie core values, uh, what they have meant to you and how they impact your life, either either within Icon or outside. Yeah, which, which is funny because uh, I originally wanted to be a spy. And uh, I, I was the personal assistant to President Bush when I was here at uh -huh. a and uh -huh. And he was like, I think you got what it takes to be to go work for the CIA. And I was like, all right. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's the, you know, Aggies code of honor is like, Aggies do not lie, cheat yeah. or steal, North right? those who do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, my job might be lying <laughs> and stealing. I don't, right. I don't know how this is gonna work. Yeah, so yeah. I, I got a little chuckle out of that. Yeah. Um, I never I never did intelligence. Um, yeah. I, I really wanted to go start companies. But um, what, what those values mean to me, um, I, I think, values don't mean something unless they're embodied. Yeah. And I'll go back to my group of friends. Like I've got a group of friends that embodies uh, the, 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 not only the a and values, but like just the virtues of yeah. love and kindness and curiosity yeah. and justice. And so when, when you have a community that embodies the values, they actually mean something. And, yeah. I, and I think A&M does that yeah. like as a, as a community and as a university, like none of it would mean anything if it was just words, but like, the fact that AM's culture is so palpable when right. you're here, right. um, it, 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 it leaves, it left me as a graduate like feeling like I understood what the values actually meant because it made an impression on my heart. So. Okay, okay, great, that great, makes great, sense. great. Yeah, it okay. does, it does, it does. So uh, Evan, I wanna thank you for your taking the time today to, to thank speak you. to us. Uh, and to the students, uh, you know, I know Evan is, is he's a very successful uh, uh, entrepreneur and uh, an investor. Uh, just think, just know that this kind of success is something that is within your reach, um, and uh, and I hope I hope all, if not if not so maybe some, if not all of you, will will strive for that. Go get it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and See ya. All right, thanks, thanks, Evan. Absolutely.